Lesson 10 for February 29 to March 6, From Confession to Consolidation, read by Dr. Percy Harold. Sabbath afternoon, February 29. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that this week, once again, we can open it and we can look at what actually happened in the life of Daniel. And we can see what happened in his relationship with you and his relationship with those around him. And as something special happens this week, we pray that your Holy Spirit will guide us to see how our lives can be something special in the lives of others. We pray in Jesus' dear name. Amen. Our memory text this week is Daniel chapter 9 and verse 19. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and act. Do not delay for your own sake, my God, for your city and your people are called by your name. Let's read that again. Daniel 9 verse 19. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and act. Do not delay for your own sake, my God, for your city and your people are called by your name. Daniel 9 contains one of the greatest prayers of the Bible. In crucial moments of his life, Daniel resorts to prayer in order to cope with the challenges that lie before him. When Daniel and his colleagues are about to be killed because of the mysterious dream of a pagan king, the prophet approaches God in prayer in Daniel chapter 2. And when a royal decree forbids petitions to any god but to the king, Daniel continues to offer his daily prayers toward Jerusalem in Daniel chapter 6. Thus, as we consider the prayer of Daniel 9, let us remember that the vision of the 2,300 evenings and mornings in Daniel 8 greatly impacts the prophet. Although the overall contours of that prophecy are explained, Daniel cannot make sense of the time period conveyed by the dialogue between the two heavenly beings. Unto 2,300 days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. Daniel 8.14 it is only now, in chapter 9, that more light is given to the prophet, and this time, too, it is in response to earnest prayer. Sunday, March 1. The Centrality of God's Word. Question. Read Daniel chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. Daniel said that he understood by books the prophecy he was studying so carefully. What book or books of the Bible did he mean? Daniel 9, beginning at verse 1. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the lineage of the Medes, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish seventy years in the desolations of Jerusalem. As we look into this prayer, it becomes clear that it arises from an in-depth study of God's previous revelation to Moses and the prophets. 
having learned from Jeremiah's scroll that his period of captivity will last 70 years, Daniel understands the importance of the historical moment in which he is living. We see the 70 years in the following text in Jeremiah 25 verses 11 to 12, and this whole land shall be a desolation and an astonishment, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Then it will come to pass, when seventy years are completed, that I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans, for their iniquity, says the Lord, and I will make it a perpetual desolation. And chapter 29 of Jeremiah, verse 10, For thus, says the Lord, after seventy years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you and cause you to return to this place. Let us bear in mind that Daniel offers this prayer in 539 BC, the year that the Persian Empire replaces Babylon. So, almost 70 years have elapsed since Nebuchadnezzar has conquered Jerusalem and destroyed the temple. Therefore, according to the prophecy of Jeremiah, God's people will soon return to their homeland. Trusting the word of God, Daniel knows that something momentous is about to happen to his people and that, just as God promises in his word, the exile in Babylon shall soon end and the Jews will return to their home. From his study of the scriptures available to him, Daniel also realizes how serious the sins of his people are. Because they have broken the covenant, they have severed their relationship with God. The inevitable consequence is, therefore, the exile, which we read about in Leviticus chapter 26, verses 14 to 45. But if you do not obey me and do not observe all these commandments, and if you despise my statutes, or if your soul abhors my judgments so that you do not perform all my commandments, but break my covenant, I also will do this to you. I will even appoint terror over you, wasting disease and fever which shall consume the eyes and cause sorrow of heart. And you shall sow your seed in vain, for your enemies shall eat it. I will set my face against you and shall be defeated by your enemies. Those who hate you shall reign over you, and you shall flee when no one pursues you. And after this, if you do not obey me, then I will punish you seven times more for your sins." I will break the pride of your power, I will make your heavens like iron and your earth like bronze, and your strength shall be spent in vain. For your land shall not yield its produce, nor shall the trees of the land yield their fruit. Then, if you walk contrary to me, and are not willing to obey me, I will bring on you seven times more plagues, according to your sins." I will also send wild beasts among you, which shall rob you of your children, destroy your livestock, and make you few in number, and your highways shall be desolate. And, if by these things you are not reformed by me, but walk contrary to me, then I also will walk contrary to you, and I will punish you yet seven times for your sins. And I will bring a sword against you that will execute the vengeance of the covenant. When you gathered together within your cities, I will send pestilence among you. And you shall be delivered into the hand of the enemy. When I have cut off your supply of bread, ten women shall bake your bread in one oven, and they shall bring back your bread by weight, and you shall eat and not be satisfied." And after all this, if you do not obey me, but walk contrary to me, then I also will walk contrary to you in fury, 
and I, even I, will chastise you seven times for your sins. You shall eat the flesh of your sons, and you shall eat the flesh of your daughters. I will destroy your high places, cut down your incense idols, and cast your carcasses on the lifeless forms of your idols, and my soul shall abhor you. I will lay your cities waste, and Bring your sanctuaries to desolation, and I will not smell the fragrance of your sweet aromas. I will bring the land to desolation, and your enemies who dwell in it shall be astonished at it. I will scatter you among the nations and draw out a sword after you. Your land shall be desolate and your cities waste. Then the land shall enjoy its Sabbaths as long as it lies desolate, and you are in your enemy's land. Then the land shall rest and enjoy its Sabbaths as long as it lies desolate, it shall rest, for the time it did not rest on your Sabbaths when you dwelt in it. And as for those of you who are left, I will send faintness into your, their hearts in the lands of their enemies. The sound of the shaken leaf shall cause them to flee. They shall flee as though fleeing from a sword, and they shall fall when no one pursues. They shall stumble over one another, as it were before a sword, when no one pursues." And you shall have no power to stand before your enemies. You shall perish among the nations, and the land of your enemies shall eat you up. And those of you who are left shall waste away in their iniquity in your enemies' lands. Also in their father's iniquities which are with them, they shall waste away. But if they confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers with their unfaithfulness in which they were unfaithful to me, and they also have walked contrary to me, and that I also have walked contrary to them and have brought them into the land of their enemies, if their uncircumcised hearts are humbled and they accept their guilt, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob and my covenant with Isaac and my covenant with Abraham I will remember. I will remember the land." The land also shall be left empty by them, and will enjoy its Sabbaths while it lies desolate without them. They will accept their guilt, because they despised my judgments, and because their soul abhorred my statutes. Yet for all that, when they are in the land of their enemies, I will not cast them away, nor shall I abhor them to utterly destroy them and break my covenant with them, for I am the Lord their God." But for their sake I will remember the covenant of their ancestors, whom I brought out of the land of Egypt in the sight of the nations, that I might be their God. I am the Lord. Thus it is, the study of God's revelation that provides Daniel with an understanding of the times, and that gives him a sense of urgency to plead with God on behalf of the people. As we approach the last days of Earth's history, we need more than ever to study and live according to God's Word. Only Scripture can provide us with an authoritative explanation of the world we live in. After all, Scripture tells the story of the great controversy between good and evil, and thus reveals that human history will close with the obliteration of evil and the establishment of God's eternal kingdom. The more we study the Scriptures, the better we can understand the contemporary situation of the world and our place in it, as well as our reasons for hope amid a world that offers none. So, to finish today, how does the Bible help us understand to some degree a world that, in and of itself, can so easily seem to make no sense at all?
Monday, March 2. An Appeal to Grace. Question. Read Daniel chapter 9, verses 3 to 19. On what basis does Daniel make his plea for mercy? Daniel 9, beginning at verse 3. Then I set my face toward the Lord God to make request for prayer and supplication with fasting, sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession and said, O Lord, great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant and mercy with those with who love him and with those who keep his commandments, we have sinned and committed iniquity. We have done wickedly and rebelled, even by departing from your precepts and your judgments. Neither have we heeded your servants, the prophets, who spake in your name to our kings and our princes, to our fathers and all the people of the land. O Lord, righteousness belongs to you, but to us shame of face as it is this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, those near and those far off in all the countries to which you have driven them, because of the unfaithfulness which they have committed against you. O Lord, to us belong shame of face, to our kings, our princes and our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his laws, which he set before us by his servants the prophets. Yes, all Israel has transgressed your law and has departed so as not to obey your voice. Therefore the curse and the oath written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us, because we have sinned against him. And he has confirmed his words which he spoke against us and against our judges who judged us, by bringing upon us a great disaster. For under the whole heaven such has never been done as what has been done to Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come upon us. Yet we have not made our prayer before the Lord our God, that we might turn from our iniquities and understand your truth. Therefore the Lord has kept the disaster in mind and brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works which he does, though we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand, and made yourself a name as it is this day, we have sinned, we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteousness, I pray, let your anger and your fury be turned away from your city Jerusalem, your holy mountain, because... For our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people are a reproach to all those around us. Now therefore, our God, hear the prayer of your servant and his supplications, and for the Lord's sake cause your face to shine on your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city which is called by your name. For we do not present our supplications before you because of our righteous deeds, but because of your great mercies. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and act. Do not delay for your own sake, my God, for your city and your people are called by your name. We should especially note a few points in this prayer. First, nowhere in Daniel's prayer is he asking for any kind of explanation for the calamities that happened to the Jewish people. 
He knows the reason, indeed. The bulk of the prayer consists of Daniel himself recounting the reason. We have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his laws, which he set before us by his servants the prophets, Daniel 9.10. The last time we left Daniel having to need to understand something was at the end of Daniel 8, when he sees he does not understand the vision of the 2,300 evenings and mornings, as recorded in Daniel 8.27. And I, Daniel, fainted and was sick for days. Afterward I rose and went about the king's business. I was astonished by the vision, but no one understood it. The second point is that this prayer is an appeal to God's grace, to God's willingness to forgive his people, even though they have sinned and done evil. In one sense, we see here a powerful illustration of the gospel of sinful people who have no merit of their own, nevertheless seeking grace that they don't deserve and for forgiveness that they haven't earned. Is this not an example of where each one of us is individually before God? Question, read Daniel 9, verses 18 and 19. What other reason does Daniel give for the Lord to answer his prayer. Daniel 9, beginning at verse 18. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city which is called by your name. For we do not present our supplications before you because of our righteous deeds, but because of your great mercies. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and act. Do not delay for your own sake, my God, for your city and your people are called by your name. Another aspect of Daniel's prayer deserves mention, the appeal to the honour of God's name. That is, the prayer is not motivated by Daniel's personal convenience or that of his people, but for God's own sake. As Let's read that again, beginning at verse 17 this time. Now, therefore, our God, hear the prayer of your servant and his supplications, and for the Lord's sake, cause your face to shine on your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city which is called by your name. For we do not present our supplications before you because of our righteous deeds, but because of your great mercies. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. Give, O Lord, listen and act. Do not delay for your own sake, my God, for your city and your people are called by your name. In other words, the petition must be granted because God's name will be honoured. So to finish today, read Second Kings chapter 19, verses 15 to 19. In what ways does Hezekiah's prayer resemble Daniel's? Second Kings chapter 19, beginning at verse 15. Then Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord God of Israel, the one who dwells between the cherubim, you are God, you alone of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see, and hear the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to reproach the living God. Truly, Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste the nations and their lands, and have cast their gods into the fire, for they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore they destroyed them. 
Now therefore, O Lord our God, I pray, save us from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you are the Lord God, you alone. What does Matthew chapter 5.16 say about how we too can glorify God? Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Tuesday, March 3. The Value of Intercession. Question. Read Daniel chapter 9, verses 5 to 13. What is significant about the fact that Daniel keeps on saying that we have done wrong, therefore including himself in the sins that ultimately have brought such calamity to the nation? Daniel 9, beginning at verse 5. We have sinned and committed iniquity. We have done wickedly and rebelled, even by departing from your precepts and your judgments. Neither have we heeded your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings and our princes, to our fathers and all the people of the land. O Lord, righteousness belongs to you, but to us shame of face, as it is this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, those near and those far off in in all the countries to which you have driven them, because of the unfaithfulness which they have committed against you. O Lord, to us belongs shame of face, to the kings, our princes, and our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his laws, which he set before us by his servants the prophets. Yes, all Israel has transgressed your law, and has departed so as not to obey your voice. Therefore the curse and the oath written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us, because we have sinned against him. And... He has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our judges who judged us, by bringing upon us a great disaster. For under the whole heaven such has never been done as what has been done to Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come upon us, yet we have not made our prayer before the Lord our God that we might turn from our iniquities and understand your truth. Daniel's prayer is just one among other significant intercessory prayers contained in the Bible. Such prayers touch God's heart, staving off judgment and bringing deliverance from enemies instead. When God is ready to destroy the entire human nation, the intercession of Moses stays his hand, as we read in Exodus chapter 32, verses 7 to 14. And the Lord said to Moses, Go, get down, for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made themselves a moulded calf, and worshipped it, and sacrificed to it, and said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, 
I have seen this people, and indeed it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, and I will make of you a great nation. Then Moses pleaded with the Lord his God, and said, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians speak and say, We brought them out to harm them, to kill them in the mountains, and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce wrath, and relent from your harm to your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, And Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self, and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have spoken of I will give to your descendants, and they shall inherit it forever. So the Lord relented from the harm which he said he would do to his people. And we also read about this in Numbers 14, verses 10 to 25. And all the congregation said to stone them with stones. Now the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of meeting before all the children of Israel. Then the Lord said to Moses, How long will these people reject me, and how long will they not believe me, with all the signs which I have performed among them? I will strike them with the pestilence and disinherit them, and I will make of you a greater nation and mightier than they. And Moses said to the Lord, Then the Egyptians will hear it, for your, for by your might you brought these people up from among them, and they will tell it to the inhabitants of this land. They have heard that you, O Lord, are among these people, that you, Lord, are seen face to face, and your cloud stands above them, and you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and in a pillar of fire by night. Now, if you kill these people as one man, then the nations which have heard your fame will speak, saying, Because the Lord was not able to bring this people to the land which he swore to give them, therefore he killed them in the wilderness. And now I pray... Let the power of my Lord be great, just as you have spoken, saying, The Lord is long-suffering and abundant in mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression. But he by no means clears the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. Pardon the iniquity of this people, I pray, according to the greatness of your mercy, just as you have forgiven the people from Egypt even until now. Then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word, but truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. Because all these men who have seen my glory and the signs which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and have put me to the test now these ten times, and have not heeded my voice, they certainly shall not see the land of which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who rejected me see it. But my servant Caleb because he has a different spirit in him, and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land where we went, and his descendants shall inherit it. Now the Amalekites and the Canaanites dwell in the valley. Tomorrow turn and move out into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. Even when severe drought is about to consume the land, 
God answers Elijah's prayer and pours out rain to revive the land. And that story occurs in 1 Kings chapter 18. And I'll read a few of the verses. And it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the earth. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab, and there was a severe famine in Samaria, and Ahab had called Obadiah, who was in charge of his house. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly, for so it was, while Jezebel massacred the prophets of the Lord, that Obadiah had taken one hundred prophets and hidden them fifty to a cave, and had fed them with bread and water. And Ahab had said to Obadiah, Go into the land of all the springs of water and to all the brooks. Perhaps we may find grass to keep the horses and mules alive, so that we will not have to kill any livestock. So they divided the land between them to explore it. Ahab went one way by himself, and Obadiah went another way by himself. And in verse 7, now as Obadiah was on his way, suddenly Elijah met him, and he recognized him and fell on his face and said, Is that you, my lord Elijah? And he answered, It is I. Go, tell your master, Elijah is here. So he said, How have I sinned that you are delivering your servant into the hand of Ahab to kill me? As the Lord your God lives, there is no nation or kingdom where my master has not set something to hunt for you. And when they said he is not here, he took an oath from the kingdom or nation that they could not find you. And now you say, Go, tell your master, Elijah is here. And it shall come to pass, as soon as I am gone from you, that the Spirit of the Lord will carry you to a place I do not know. So when I go and tell Ahab, and he cannot find you, he will kill me. But I, your servant, have feared the Lord from my youth. Was it not reported to my Lord what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord, how I hid one hundred men of the Lord's prophets, fifty to a cave, and fed them with bread and water? And now you say, Go tell your master, Elijah is here. He will kill me. Then Elijah said, As the Lord of hosts lives, before whom I stand, I will surely present myself to him today. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. Then it happened, when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said to him, Is that you, O troubler of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, in that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and have followed the Baals. Now, therefore, send and gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel, the four hundred and fifty prophets of Baal and the four hundred prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. And then this amazing miracle happens on Mount Carmel. Verse 20. So Ahab sent for all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel. And Elijah came to all the people and said, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him, but if Baal, follow him. But the people answered him not a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are four hundred and fifty men. Therefore, Let them give us two bulls, and let them choose one bull for themselves, cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. And I'll prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. Then you call on the name of your gods, and I will call on the name of the Lord. 
and the God who answers by fire, he is God. So all the people answered and said, It is well spoken. Now Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose one bull for yourselves, and prepare it first, for you are many, and call on the name of your God, but put no fire under it. So they took the bull which was given them, and they prepared it, and called on the name of Baal from morning even till noon, saying, O Baal, hear us. But there was no voice, no one answered. Then they leaped about the altar which they had made, and so it was at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is meditating, or he is busy, or he is on a journey, or perhaps he is sleeping and must be awakened. So they cried aloud and cut themselves, as was their custom, with knives and lances, until the blood gushed out of them. And when midday was past, they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. But there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come near to me. So all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And Elijah took twelve stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. Then with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench around the altar, large enough to hold two seers of seed. And he put the wood in order, cut the bull in pieces, and laid it on the wood, and said, Fill four water pots with water, and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. Then he said, Do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, Do it a third time. And they did it a third time. So the water ran all around the altar, and he also filled the trench with water. And it came to pass, at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that you are the Lord God, and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. Then... The fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice, and the wood, and the stones, and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. Now when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces, and they said, The Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal, do not let one of them escape. So they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon, and executed them there. Then Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat and drink, for there is the sound of abundance of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Carmel. There he bowed down to the ground and put his face between his knees, and he said to his servant, Go up now, look toward the sea. So he went up and looked and said, There is nothing. And seven times he said, Go again. Then it came to pass the seventh time that he said, There is a cloud, as small as a man's hand, rising out of the sea. So he said, Go up, say to Ahab, Prepare your chariot, and go down before the rain stops you. Now it happened in the meantime that the sky became black with clouds and wind, and there was a heavy rain. So Ahab rode away and went to Jezreel, 
Then the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah, and he girded up his loins, and ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. As we pray for family members, friends, and other people or situations, God hears our prayers and can intervene. Sometimes it may take longer for a prayer to be answered, but we can rest assured that God never forgets the needs of His children, as we read in James 5.16. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. In this case, Daniel plays the role of an intercessor or mediator between God and the people. From his study of the scriptures, the prophet realizes how sinful the people have become as they transgress God's law and refuse to hear God's warnings. Thus, recognizing their desperate spiritual condition, Daniel prays for healing and forgiveness. But the prophet also identifies with his people. In some aspects, Daniel illustrates the role of Christ as our intercessor, as we see in the prayer of Jesus in John chapter 17. Let's begin at verse 1. Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son also may glorify you, as you have given him authority over all flesh, and that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. For I have given to them the words which you have given me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came forth from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours." And all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world." Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me and I in you that they also may be one in us, 
that the world may believe that you sent me, and the glory which you gave me I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me, and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you sent me, and I have declared to them your name, and will declare it, that the love with which you loved me may be in them, and I in them. However, there is a radical difference. Christ is without sin, as we read in Hebrews 4.15. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. And therefore has no need to confess personal sin or to offer sacrifices for personal forgiveness, as we read in Hebrews 7, verses 26 and 27, For such a high priest was fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens, who does not need daily, as those high priests, to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once for all, when he offered up himself. But he identifies himself in a unique way with sinners, as we read in Second Corinthians 5.21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so to close today, a quote first of all from Faith and Works, page 24 by Ellen White. If you would gather together everything that is good and holy and noble and lovely in man, and then present the subject to the angels of God as acting a part in the salvation of the human soul or in merit, the proposition would be rejected as treason. End of quote. What do these words teach us about our need for an intercessor on our behalf? Wednesday, March 4. The Work of the Messiah The intercessory pair of Daniel addresses two main concerns, the sins of the people and the desolation of Jerusalem. Thus, God's response deals with these two petitions. Through the work of the Messiah, the people will be redeemed and the sanctuary will be anointed. The two specific petitions, however, are answered in ways that transcend the immediate historical horizon of Daniel. The work of the Messiah will benefit the entire human race. Question, read Daniel chapter 9, verses 21 to 27. What work was to be done within the 70-week period? Why can only Jesus accomplish it? Daniel 9, beginning at verse 21. Yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, 
being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering. And he informed me and talked to me and said, O Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill to understand. At the beginning of your supplications the command went out, and I have come to tell you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore consider the matter and understand the vision. Seventy weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city, to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the Most Holy. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and sixty-two weeks. The street shall be built again, and the wall, even in troublesome times. And, after the sixty-two weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with a flood. And, till the end of the war, desolations are determined. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. But, in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. 1. To finish the transgressions. The Hebrew word for transgression, pesha, suggests the willful violations by an inferior against a superior, for instance, uh, in Proverbs twenty-eight twenty-four, whoever robs his father or his mother and says it is no transgression, the same is companion to a destroyer. This word also occurs in the Bible with regard to open defiance of God by humans in Ezekiel 2 verse 3. And he said to me, Son of man, I am sending you to the children of Israel, to a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. Through the blood of Jesus, however, rebellion against God is quashed and humans are offered the merits that flow from Calvary. 2. To make an end of sins. The verb carries the meaning of to seal, and here it means that sin is forgiven. Since the fall, the human race has been unable to live up to God's standards. But the Messiah will take care of our failures. 3. To make reconciliation for iniquity. As Paul says in Colossians 1, 19 and 20, For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Here, too, only Jesus can bring about this reality. For, to bring in everlasting righteousness, Christ took our place on the cross, and thereby bestowed upon us the blessed condition of being right with God. Only by faith can we receive this righteousness that comes from God. 5. To seal up vision and prophecy. When Christ offered himself in sacrifice, the Old Testament prophecies that pointed to his atoning work were sealed up in the sense that they were fulfilled. And six, 
and to anoint the Most Holy. The Most Holy mentioned here is not a person, but a place. So the statement refers to the anointing of the heavenly sanctuary as Christ was inaugurated there as our great high priest, as we read in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 1. Now this is the main point of the things we are saying. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. Thursday, March 5, The Prophetic Calendar At the end of the vision of the 2,300 evenings and mornings, the prophet is astonished because he cannot understand it, as we read in Daniel 8.27. Ten years later, Gabriel comes to help Daniel understand the vision, as we read in Daniel 9.23. This latter revelation supplies the missing information and reveals that the work of the Messiah is to be accomplished toward the end of a period of 70 weeks. According to the year-day principle and the course of the events predicted, the 70 weeks must be understood as 490 years. And the starting point for this period is the command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem of Daniel 9.25. This command is issued by King Artaxerxes in 457 BC. It allows the Jews, under the leadership of Ezra, to rebuild Jerusalem, as we read last quarter in Ezra chapter 7. According to the biblical text, the 70 weeks are determined or cut off. This indicates that the time period of 490 years has been cut from a larger time period, that is, from the 2,300 years designated in the vision of chapter 8. It follows from this that the 2,300 years and the 490 years must have the same starting point, namely 457 BC. The prophecy of the 70 weeks is divided into three sections, seven weeks, 62 weeks, and the 70th week. The seven weeks, or 49 years, most likely refer to the time during which Jerusalem will be rebuilt. After these seven weeks, there will be 62 weeks, that's 434 years, leading to Messiah the Prince, as we read in Daniel 9.25. Thus, 483 years After Artaxerxes' decree, that is, in the year AD 27, Jesus the Messiah is baptized and anointed by the Holy Spirit for his messianic mission. During the 70th week, other crucial events will take place. 1. Messiah will be cut off, as we read in Daniel 9.26, which refers to the death of Christ. 2. The Messiah shall confirm a covenant with many for one week, as in Daniel 9.27. This is the special mission of Jesus and the apostles to the Jewish nation. It is understood during the last week, from AD 27 to 34. 3. But in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering, it said in Daniel 9.27. Three and a half years after his baptism, that is, In the middle of the week, Jesus brings the sacrificial system to an end. 
in the sense that it no longer has any more prophetic significance. By offering himself as the final and perfect sacrifice of the new covenant, thus voiding the need for any more animal sacrifices. The last week of the 70-week prophecy ends in AD 34, when Stephen is martyred, and the gospel message begins to reach not only the Jews, but the Gentiles as well. And so, to finish today, read Daniel 9, verses 24 to 27. Seventy weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem, until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and sixty-two weeks. The street shall be built again, and the wall, even in troublesome times. And, after the sixty-two weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the Prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with a flood." Until the end of the war, desolations are determined. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. Even amid the great hope and promise of the Messiah, we read about violence, war, and desolation. How can this help assure us that amid the calamities of life, hope still exists? Friday, March 6. Below is the chart explaining how the 70-week prophecy of Daniel 9, verses 24 to 27, ties in with and forms the starting point of the 2,300-year prophecy of Daniel 8.14. If you count 2,300 years from 457 BC, remembering to delete the non-existent zero year, you get 1844, or... If you count the remaining 1,810 years from AD 34, that's 2,300 minus the first 49 years, you come to 1844 as well. Thus, the cleansing of the sanctuary in Daniel 8.14 can be shown to start in 1844. Notice, too, how the 1844 date fits with what we saw in Daniel 7 and 8. That is, the judgment in Daniel 7, which is the same thing as the cleansing of the sanctuary in Daniel 8, and we saw that in the last two weeks' lessons, occurs after the 1,260 years of persecution of Daniel 7.25, and yet before the second coming of Jesus and the establishment of his eternal kingdom. And the chart is here. And uh, it's a linear chart. It starts in 457 BC with 490 years, taking it through to AD 34, and then a further 1,810 years to 1844, a total of 2,300 days or 2,300 years. 
And that brings us to our discussion questions for this week. 1. Scholars have said, and rightly so, that the 2,300-day prophecy and the 70-week prophecy are really just one prophecy. Why would they say that? What evidence can you find to back up that assertion? 2. What can we learn from Daniel's intercessory prayer that can help us in our intercessory prayer life? 3. Christ's sacrifice in our behalf is our only hope. How should this help keep us humble, and even more important, make us more loving and forgiving of others? What should Luke seven forty to 47 say to all of us? And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, Teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, You have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. 4. Look at how central scripture is to Daniel's prayer and his hope. After all, the nation has been savagely defeated, the people exiled, their land ravaged and their capital destroyed, and yet he has the hope that despite all this, the people will go back home. Where could he have gotten this hope other than from the Bible and God's promises written in it? What should this tell us about the hope we can have as well from the promises in his word. Inside Story Our mission story this week is titled... Angel in Angola's Airport. It's by Andrew McChesney of Adventist Mission. Do angels live in airports? A TAAG Angolan Airlines airplane deposited me late one evening in Angola's capital, Luanda. I had a two-hour layover before catching the next flight to the island nation of Sayatome and Principe to collect mission stories. At the designated time printed on my boarding pass, I joined a long waiting line to the departure area. But when I offered my boarding pass, the airline representative turned me away with a slew of Portuguese words. Seeing my confusion, she summoned a security officer who explained that I needed to wait 20 minutes. 20 minutes later, the airline representative accepted my boarding pass and directed me into a crowded room. I waited 15 minutes. Then another airline representative called out, Sayo Tomei. 
I joined a crowd waiting to take an escalator down to the departure area on the ground floor. But this airline representative, guarding entry to the escalator, rejected my boarding pass with a fresh slew of Portuguese words. No security officer was present to interpret, and I guessed I would have to wait 20 minutes. Other passengers streamed down the escalator, and soon only a few people remained in the room. I decided to go. Nobody remained to check my boarding pass. At the bottom of the escalator, I joined a chaotic line of waiting people. The minutes ticked by, and no bus came to take us to the plane. Then a young man with brown hair and a tan knapsack slung over his shoulder cut in front of me in line. Idly, I wondered why he hadn't gone to the back of the line. After a few minutes, he looked at me and said, My English. I had no idea what he meant. I guessed that he spoke only Portuguese. The man gestured toward the crowd around us. This flight is to Portugal, he said, speaking in slightly accented English. Say Tome is over there, he pointed down the hall. Thank you, I exclaimed, and ran. Sure enough, a bus stood waiting down the hall, and its doors closed shortly after I boarded. Seated on the sparsely filled plane, I thought back to the stranger in the airport. How did he know that I spoke English? I hadn't communicated with anyone. How did he know where I was going? My boarding pass had been tucked in my pocket. Why did he cut in front of me in line and single me out of the crowd? Arriving in Sayatome, I told my story to local church leader Elisu Arzavia. He declared that God had sent an angel. If I had missed the flight, he said, I would have been stranded for three days in Luanda. The airline flies to Sayatome only three times a week. I have no doubt Airports are homes to angels. And here is a photograph on the left of the writer Andrew McChesney, who we hear so many stories from. This lesson was read by Dr. Percy Harold for Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, Christian Record Services for the Blind, the Sabbath School Department and Hope Channel. You can also listen on the official Sabbath School 4 app and the Apple iTunes app, Sabbath School with Percy Harold. Remember, God is always faithful.